teach us that everything we long for and everything we need is found in your presence. And Lord, forgive us for looking so many other places. We seek out the world for what the world has to offer to meet our needs. We look to other people. We try all of these things and we miss the key that it's in your presence. So, Lord, I pray this morning as we've come together around your word with an anticipation to hear from you, that we would recognize that we are indeed in the presence of Almighty God and that everything you say would have that effect upon us that this is God speaking. And Lord, you're not into suggestions. You make commands. And so I pray that we wouldn't approach your word this morning with a, I'll give it a thought, and maybe I'll do that, but that there would be an absolute obedience, a heart that says, Lord, whatever you tell me before I even know what it is, I'm already determined I'm going to obey. I've made that choice. It's already settled. And now speak through your word. Lord, may we come with that attitude, and if we do, we'll never be disappointed. Speak to us now, I pray in Jesus' name, and amen, and amen. If you have a Bible this morning, would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5. This morning we are concluding a four-part series entitled, The Key to a Supernatural Life. We saw that the key to a supernatural life is not a principle... It's not a thing, but it's a person. The person of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, and the person specifically of the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, beginning with verse 22, but keying in on verse 25. Galatians 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Here's the key verse. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I want to share something with you to begin with this morning, that if you miss this, the whole rest of the message is not going to make any sense whatsoever. And so you need to understand it. Here's what I want you to see. The Christian life, from its inception all the way through to its conclusion, that is, when we stand face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole thing is supernatural. I ran across a fellow one day, and when he was asked to share how he said he was a Christian, we said, how did you come to know the Lord? You know what he said? He said, I looked at the Christian philosophy of life and I looked at other philosophies of life and decided that I wanted to follow the Christian philosophy of life. That man was lost because nothing supernatural had happened. You see, let me show you how supernatural it is. It starts with the very drawing of you to have a desire to come to the Lord. That was supernatural because the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, if you're dead in trespasses and sins... How can a dead person even come to the one who would give him life? You can't do anything. And so the fact that you were ever drawn to the Lord in the first place was a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit. And then we saw a couple of weeks ago that when the Holy Spirit draws you, He also begins to convict you of three things, of sin and of righteousness, that we don't have any righteousness. It has to be His righteousness, Christ's righteousness, and of a coming judgment, that there really is a literal judgment. 
And we saw that that's absolutely a, a, a supernatural work of the Spirit. And then once He's drawn us and convicted us, then He gives us the faith. The faith we reach out with is the faith He's given to us. And so we choose to reach out with that faith, faith and take hold of His hand of grace and mercy that's reached down to us. And we take hold of His hand, trusting in Jesus Christ alone, not trusting in getting a philosophy, not trusting in going through a ritual, not trusting in joining a church, but a personal relationship with Him, saying, Lord, I trust in You. I believe that You paid on the cross the penalty which I owed, and I now ask You to come into my life that Your righteousness might be mine and that Your forgiveness would be my forgiveness. I now ask You for that, Lord, and I trust You come into my life. At that moment, the Holy Spirit does something else supernatural. He births you into God's family. It's a supernatural birth. And it's, it's not something that just... A philosophy of life. No! You are born again! You're made brand new down at the very core of your being. Down at the very core of who you are. It's changed. Your nature has changed. Second Peter 1, 4 says you become a partaker of the divine nature. The Holy Spirit identifies you with Jesus Christ and you're made a new creature. But now listen, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is just beginning. When that happens, He then takes you from that point all the way into the conclusion, and He begins a work in your life to mature you and to conform you to the likeness of Christ. And that's supernatural. Philippians 1.6 puts it this way, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then the supernatural work of the Spirit continues on until as 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are now sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we, that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And there's coming a day in the future when we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus, and immediately, supernaturally, the Holy Spirit is going to transform us into His likeness. And so what I want you to see is that all the way from the inception of where He draws us unto the Lord, all the way to the conclusion, when we stand before Jesus Christ, it is a supernatural work that the Holy Spirit has to do in your life. Now, what I want us to do this morning is I want us to focus in on that period from the point the Holy Spirit makes you a new creature in Christ, births you into God's family, until the time that you stand face to face with the Lord Jesus, either through death or through His second coming, that you stand face to face with Him. It's that period of time that I want us to focus in on this morning. Now, during that period of time, there is a factor that's going to determine whether or not you are used by the Holy Spirit for glorious works which magnify Jesus, or whether you're going to grieve and quench the Spirit, remain deformed infants under God's chastisement and basically miserable in this life. There is a factor in that period that is going to determine whether you stay frustrated with shriveled up fruit or whether you're going to know fruit that's fantastic, and Jesus talked about a life in John chapter 7 that flows out of our innermost being like rivers of living water. What is that factor? Well, that factor is this. Who is in control? Who's in control? Now, I don't believe there's any way I could overemphasize the importance of that factor. Who is in control of your life? You want me to tell you something? In my opinion... 95% of all Christians, at least all church members, let me say, those two are not necessarily the same, at least 95% of all church members are in control of their own life. And they trusted God for salvation, but then they sort of say, Lord, you stand in the shadows, and if I need you, I'll call on you. 
And when I get in a jam, I'll call and whistle and you come running and get me out of a jam. But I'm going to control my own life. I'm going to try to be respectable, not do anything too bad. But I'm sufficient most of the time. But when I'm not, could you help me? And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit doesn't operate that way. Now listen carefully. If you are in control, He is not in control. And if He's not in control, you're out of control. You see, your ship was made to sail with only one captain. And pardon my grammar, but you ain't it. You ain't it. And you will never experience a fruitful, supernatural life until you give over complete control to the blessed Holy Spirit. Now this morning, I want us to look at this matter of control as it relates to the release of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the first thing I want you to see is the surrender of control. And we're talking about brokenness. Now let me define right off the bat what I mean by brokenness. I'm talking about a work by the Holy Spirit whereby He strips us of our self-sufficiency that's manifested in a desire to control our own life. You know something? If you check out the Bible, and even beyond that, if you check out Christian history of the great men and women of the faith who have been used mightily of God, you'll find something they have in common. You'll find that they have been broken of self-sufficiency. They've been broken before the Lord. Most of them went through a crash-and-burn experience, I call it where they came to the end of themselves and realized that they were totally insufficient and had to trust him for his sufficiency. Let me give you an example or two. First of all, there's Moses. Man, Moses, you talk about a guy that had it made. Moses, history tells us, the Bible insinuates it but doesn't flat out state it, but history tells us that Moses was in line to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, the Pharaoh of Egypt, Pharaoh's a title like king, and Pharaoh was the most powerful man on the face of earth because Egypt during that period of time was the most powerful nation on earth, many historians believe. And Moses turned his back on that. He was committed to the Lord, but Moses had a problem with self-sufficiency. And so Moses set about to do God's work his own way. And you know what he did? He absolutely failed. And God had to take Moses and send him over on the backside of a desert for 40 years before Moses was available to be used of God. Going on through the Scriptures, I think about Peter. Peter was so proud he could strut sitting down. And Peter had a pride. When the Lord told him one time, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, not me, Lord. He said, Lord, now these other guys, I've got questions about them anyway. They're all kind of wimpy. But me, Lord, never. I'll follow you to the death. And it wasn't until Peter crashed and burned. And you talk about crashing and burned. He crashed and burned. Peter cursed and swore and denied that he even knew the Lord. But it was after that brokenness experience that Peter then became the chief of the apostles. I think about Mark, who was used of God to write the fourth gospel. But did you know that before Mark became a man who could be mightily used of God, Mark was a missionary washout and a dropout? That Mark failed? Read through the book of Acts, those middle chapters there, you'll find where Mark was a quitter. And after a broken experience, Mark was able to be used of the Lord. Even Paul said, bring Mark to me later on in life because he's useful to me. I think about the Apostle Paul. Did you know that Paul was not able to be used of the Lord until he went through the brokenness experience described for us in Romans chapter 7? It was then and only then that he came to the truths and the glorious experience of Romans chapter 8. And if you read those two chapters, you'll see what I mean. As you go down through history, you'll find that the great men and women who have been mightily used of God 
had a point in their life where they came to a place of absolute brokenness before God, stripped of their self-sufficiency, realizing, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. And until you come to that place of brokenness in your life, then God is not able to unleash the Holy Spirit to live out a supernatural life through you. Now, let's talk about that brokenness a little more because that's a foreign concept to a lot of Christians. And the first thing I want you to see is the process of brokenness. Now, it's going to get a little deep here, so hang with me because it's worth the dive to go down deep and get what we're going to get. Um, first of all, I want you to see that the, that the process God takes us through. You see, the moment you were saved, the Holy Spirit did a work on the innermost part of your being, your spirit. That which you are down at the core of your being, that part that separates you from animals and all of other God's creation that allows you to know God, the Holy Spirit did a new work. Let me tell you what he did. He rebirthed your spirit. And he made it brand new. And he gave you a spirit, a nature, that Second Peter 1, 4 is like unto the, says is like unto the divine nature. And he himself, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, came to take up residence in your spirit. Now, you know something? Your spirit is perfect. I mean, the Holy Spirit couldn't dwell somewhere that wasn't perfect. And so he made you brand new in your spirit. But now, here's the problem. Your spirit is encased in a soul. Now, your soul is your personality, your mind, your will, your emotions. But here's the problem. Now, don't get mad at me. I'm going to say it even if you do get mad at me. But it make me feel better if you don't get mad at me. Your soul, your personality, is messed up. <laughs> It's messed up. Some folks are more obvious and they're messed up soul than other folks are, but we're all messed up. Now, your souls, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And let me show you. Our emotions, every one of us, without exception, every one of us have been wounded and damaged and scarred in our emotions. Some of you, through obvious ways. Maybe you were... were uh, treated wrongly, you were abused, you were something like that, others through the rejection of a relationship, others through... But we're all, we all got damaged emotions. We're all damaged goods, including me. You too. We're all damaged. We got emotions that are wounded, damaged, and scarred. Our mind has developed unscriptural ways of processing information and unscriptural patterns in, in, in the way we look at things, in the way we think about things. And not only that, our will is used to acting on the bad information it gets from damaged emotions and a messed up mind that doesn't see things from a scriptural perspective. Now, to beat all that, you've got a perfect spirit wherein dwells the Holy Spirit encased in a soul that's messed up, and then it's all encased in a body. And the body, the Bible tells us, while not being evil, the body is, is indwelt by a, a sinister force that Romans 7 calls the power of sin. Romans 7:23 talks about the power of sin which dwells in our members. And this power of sin is Satan's inroad into our mind to implant his thoughts and his lies and his counterfeits. And so, there we are. Here we are, people that have been born again. If you're saved, you've got perfect spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. But we've got emotions, mind, and will that's messed up. We live in a body that has within it the power of sin through which Satan has inroad into our life. And when we operate in our own power based on our old programming, our damaged emotions, our mind that looks at things unscriptural, when we operate like that, the Bible calls that condition being after the flesh. And the Bible says that flesh cannot please God. And so something has to deal with it. Now, let me tell you what brokenness is. I went through all that to make you understand brokenness. Brokenness is when God begins to deal with that which encases the perfect spirit He gave us 
where His Holy Spirit dwells, and God begins to chip away those things that are hindering the Holy Spirit from being released in our life. That's the process we call brokenness. Now, let me give you the procedure of brokenness because God uses two things to bring about that brokenness. First thing He uses is His Word. Let me tell you about this book. This book's not just black print on white paper. You've got a red letter edition, black and red print on white paper. This book is live. Whoa. It's living. In fact, listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is quick, literally living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now notice he says that the Word is able to divide between the soul, messed up part, and the spirit, the perfect part. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. The Word is like a scaffold that does surgery to cut away the things that hinder the Holy Spirit from being unleashed in your life. In Jeremiah 23, 29, God uses another analogy. He says, Behold, my Word is like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. Now, what is it that's got you messed up? Is it some emotions that have been scarred over? Then the Lord says, All right, you get into my Word with an openness... And like a hammer, I'll chip away at hardened emotions. I'll chip away at a mind that's not seeing things from a scriptural perspective. And the Word begins to chip away. The key is, are you open? Let me show you something. This would be worth the price you're coming this morning. Of course, it didn't cost anything anyway, but, but it would be if you'd paid to get in. Um, why is it that some people can't wait for church to start? And why is it that some people say, oh, Sunday, we get to go to church, hear the Word of God, sit in class, listen to a teacher, or be able to teach, listen to the pastor, listen to music, all that. Why is it that some people are so excited about Sunday and other people say, oh, man, it's Sunday. wonder if there's any reason I can go out and get out of this. And I preach to both kinds of people every Sunday morning. It's all three services, all four services, counting Sunday night. And I know that they're there, and sometimes I can point you out by the look on your face. I'm not going to do that. Just relax, but I can do that. And why is it? Why is it that some are here open, waiting, saying, Lord, speak to me, and there are others saying, how much longer is this going to last? And you're just here because your conscience bothers you if you don't come, or maybe your wife nagged you until you came, or your parents made you come. What's the difference between those two kind of people? I'll tell you what the difference is. The difference is your attitude toward the Word of God. And when you come simply approaching the Word of God as an intellectual exercise, you may get some in your notebook, but if it doesn't go through your heart, then it's not going to do you any good. But let me tell you something. When you come to church, let me tell you what to do. You begin, you prepare your heart by saying, Lord, I'm getting on your operating table this morning. And I want you to take your word, which is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, and with a scaffold of your word, I want you to cut away the things that hinder the Holy Spirit from being unleashed through me. And Lord, I want you to take your hammer of your word and take those hard parts, and I want you to crack me good, Lord. I want you to crack me right up the side of the head, right up the side of the heart where things have crusted over, and I want you to break it away so that I can be unleashed. I'll tell you, when you approach the Word of God like that, my friend, you won't go out of here the same way you came in. There'll be a difference. And so the Lord uses, in this, in this procedure of brokenness, He uses His Word. Second thing He uses is circumstances. God either will allow or even engineer some circumstances in your life. I hope you're hearing me now. Because some of you, this is going to be an explanation for what's going on. The Lord will either allow, if it's sinful, He didn't cause it, but He had to allow it. He'll either allow or sometimes cause some things to happen to bring you to the absolute end of yourself, to a place of brokenness. Some of you are there right now, and some folks are more harder-hearted than others. And the Lord has to break a little harder 
But he used his circumstances. See, that's all tied up in Romans 8, 28 and 29. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. And then what's His purpose? Verse 29, that you can be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. That all things includes all circumstances. And God says, I'm going to allow some things to happen in your life, some uncomfortable things, some, some things that bring you to the absolute end of yourself so that you will surrender the control to me. Because until you do... God says, I can't do in your life what I desire to do and live through you, through my spirit in you, a supernatural life until, first of all, you surrender control. And so let me just ask you this morning, who's in control? And remember, if you're in control, he's not in control. If he's not in control, you are out of control. And so, first of all, there's that surrender of control. Lord, in brokenness, I give myself to you. Now, secondly, I want you to see the swapping of control. It's not just a matter of we give it up. Who gets control? And by that, we're talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to catch this concept because it's a concept people throw around a lot, but most people don't really understand what it means. The key passage is Ephesians 5.18. And it says, Be not drunk with wine, for in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the word filled is a synonym for the word controlled. Let me show you what I mean. That way in the English usage of the word, well, is the Greek usage. When we say somebody is filled with joy, what are we saying? We're saying that joy controls their whole life. I mean, joy controls the way they walk. Joy controls the way they talk. Joy controls the way they see all their circumstances. They're controlled by joy. When we say, oh, they're filled with anger, what does that mean? It means that anger controls their life. It affects the way they talk. It affects the way they think. Anger controls them. And when he says, be filled with the Spirit, he's saying, let the Holy Spirit be the one who has control. You've got to surrender control and swap your control for his control and allow him to fill or control your life. Now, it's interesting that he uses an analogy for being filled with the Spirit that really messes some people up. He uses the analogy of being drunk with wine or with alcohol more generally. Now, that messes some folks up. They say, well, that doesn't sound very good to talk about being drunk. Well... You've got a problem with that, take it up with the Lord. I didn't write the word, I'm just proclaiming. Um, because that's, the, in fact, he does that in more than one place. In another place, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and filled the disciples and supernatural acts were happening, remember what the people said about them? They said, these men are drunk on new wine. And so there's a real analogy between being drunk on alcohol and being filled with the Spirit. And let me just kind of go through these so you can kind of see the analogy. When someone is arrested who's been drinking, what do they call it? Driving under the influence, the UI. Um, alcohol, when a person consumes it, alcohol begins to control their life. Alcohol controls the way you walk. Alcohol controls the way you talk. Alcohol controls the way you think. Life even looks better when you're drunk. That's why people get drunk. That's one of the main reasons, because life looks better. And so we try to drown our problems. The only problem with that is we discover they can swim. You know? <laughs> and when you're not drunk anymore, the problems are still there. But that's, that's what it is. Life looks better. And so it begins to control. Not only that, alcohol gives a new boldness in life. Inhibitions are let down when somebody's drunk with wine. They, people who are drunk with wine will do things they would have never done without the alcohol. Now, I believe that alcohol is the devil's counterfeit for being filled with the Spirit. I really do. And they're so similar. 
And everything that alcohol does negatively, the Holy Spirit does positively. Now, let me give you another analogy. How does a person get drunk? Does he get drunk by reading ads about liquor? Does he get drunk by hearing somebody talk about liquor? No, he gets drunk by drinking it. And he stays drunk by keeping on drinking it. Now, there's that analogy with the Holy Spirit. You see, you can come to sermons like this, go to seminars, and read books about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but until you, by faith, appropriate the fullness of the Holy Spirit, until you drink Him in, Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37, if any man thirst, let him come to me and what? Drink! To appropriate by faith the fullness of the Holy Spirit. How do you stay filled with the Spirit? You just keep on appropriating. And by faith, walking, trusting, and appropriating, drinking in the Holy Spirit. Now, He already dwells within you, but you're, by faith, obtaining the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you something. When a person's filled with the Spirit, guess what happens? It affects the way they walk. It affects the way they talk. You know, there are a lot of people who say that the way you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit is if you speak in unknown tongues. I always felt that one of the signs you've been filled with the Holy Spirit is that you're able to control the one tongue you got. Okay, it affects the way you talk. It affects the way you walk. It affects the way you view life. And not only that, it gives us a new boldness. Inhibitions are let down when the Holy Spirit fills your life. You know, there are some people whose emotions are all messed up that when the Holy Spirit fills their life, they're going to cut loose on some of their emotions. And you know what? You might even, now buckle your pew belt and hang on, you might even hear amens and praise the Lord and hallelujahs in a red brick white column, First Baptist Church. I know that sounds supernatural, but that can happen because he does things like that. And things may happen in emotions and all those things, not something we would work up, but when the Holy Spirit gets control of the life, inhibitions begin to fall. There's a new boldness. There's a boldness to witness with victory over the fear of rejection, a boldness to take stands when we would normally shrink into the background. Why? Because someone else is in control. A drunk person, the alcohol is in control. When a person is filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, someone else is in control, the Holy Spirit. And so there needs to be an absolute surrender of control in brokenness. There must be a swapping of control. Once we're broken before the Lord, then we say, Holy Spirit, you fill my life. You could take control. And then thirdly, I want you to see the sustaining of control. And there we're talking about walking in the Spirit. In Galatians 5, verse 25, he says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Verse 16 of Galatians 5, he'd already said it once. He said, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now let me emphasize once again that the filling of the Spirit is not a one-time thing. It's something that happens over and over and over. It's something that we come constantly to Him for, reckoning on by faith, drinking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, giving Him control. The brokenness is not a process that's done once for all necessarily, but it's continuing processes, those things that crust over our spirit. The Holy Spirit then is allowed to break us and take the crust away through the Word. That's why we keep in the Word and through circumstances as He allows uncomfortable things to happen in our life. But I love the analogy that He gives of a walk. We're to walk in the Spirit. There are two things a walk assume. First of all, it assumes you're going somewhere. You've got a destination. You know, what's that got to do with anything? Well, there are a lot of people who talk about the fullness of the Holy Spirit like it's an end in itself. 
And all they're concerned about is goosebumps and giggles from getting, you know, I got, got this wonderful experience and got filled with the Spirit and all this stuff happened. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to fill your life because He's got a destination. We're to walk in the Spirit. What is that destination? It's that as we walk, the fruit of the Spirit is being lived out in our life. That our life is characterized by love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, and self-control. And not only that, that is, Philippians 1.20 says that Christ Jesus, whether through our life or through our death, is magnified in our life. That's where we're going. We're on a destination. But let me tell you a second reason I love the analogy of walking the Spirit. Walking implies a total dependence. Now watch how this works. Let me give you a scientific analysis of walking. I want you to see how, why the Lord used that analogy. You know that walking is actually continual falling and continual dependence. Now watch this. Your upper body has to have total dependence upon your lower body to catch it when you walk. Now, you think about this. Now, you don't necessarily go through all this. All right, let's do this next and this next. It just kind of happens. But that's what really happens is as you walk, your upper body pitches forward. Right? It has to. And so your upper body pitches forward, trusting that this leg and foot's going to go out in front of you and catch you. And you kind of balance up. And then what do you do? You pitch forward again, trusting that this leg and foot's going to go forward and catch you. And so it's a life of continual dependence. Now what happens is when you stump your toe on a root or something, what happens? Your leg and foot was not dependable and you fall on your nose. Okay, because walking is a matter of total dependence. Now the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk by means of, it literally says in the Greek, walk by means of the Holy Spirit. That is, as we walk through life, we have been, we've surrendered control to the Lord bring brokenness into my life. And then we... We, we, we swap control and we say, Holy Spirit, I want you to now take control. I give up control. Fill my life. Control my life. Now we begin to walk in absolute total dependence on the Holy Spirit. Let me show you how it'll happen. We begin to go forward and we say, Okay, Lord, I'm going to step out in obedience to what you've led me to do. Unless you come through, Lord, I'm going to fall flat on my nose. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. And now here I go as I walk in total dependence on you. If you don't come through, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. And guess what? He never stumps his foot on a, a, a root. He's absolutely total depend, uh, worthy of our dependence and our total trust in Him. He always comes through. Now, that's the Christian life. It's a continual falling and a total dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You know, I get so irritated at how believers don't understand this so many times. People say, I don't want to do that. I'm not comfortable with that. You're not meant to be comfortable. In fact, when the Lord's leading your life, He's always leading you into uncomfortable situations. He always leads you into water that's over your head. He always leads you into a situation where you're saying, Lord, if you don't come through, I'm sunk. Oh, thank you, Lord. And Lord, if you don't come through, I'm sunk. Thank you, Lord. And there's a total, absolute dependence upon Him. And when we walk that way, He begins to change our personalities. He begins to deal with those damaged emotions. He begins to deal with a mind that is unscriptural in its way of approaching life and way of thinking. He begins to deal with a will that has been bondage for so long to the power of sin so that it's set free. He begins to deal with it. Now, let me tell you something. There's some of you who, have, who are not walking in dependence on the Holy Spirit. And some of you because of your emotions in the past. And you've got a victim mentality. Something happened to you 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and you're still hanging on to it. And it's controlling your life. Jesus set you free from that. You don't have to be a victim anymore. You can be set free in Christ Jesus. We have a new past. Those damaged emotions, when we bring it to the cross, crucified with Him. And so there is that total dependence of walking in the Spirit. Now, there's an old saying that says a journey of a million miles or a thousand miles or a hundred miles, whatever you want to fill in, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Now, let me give you in closing this morning the first step.
to a supernatural life. You know what it is? To come to the cross. To come to the cross. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, maybe there's some of you that need to come to the cross for salvation. There's never been a time, maybe you've been religious and maybe you've been a church member, but hell's going to be filled with people surrounded by baptismal certificates and church membership. You see, it's not in a ritual, it's not in getting religion, it's in a relationship with a person. And there's some of you who need to come to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, I reach up to you with my hand of faith that you've given me, and I'm trusting you, and I believe that what you did on the cross was for me, and my only hope for righteousness, my only hope to be accepted of the Father, is to put my trust in you, that you come into my life and make me a new person, that you give the forgiveness that I could never earn or deserve. And I trust you, you need to come to the cross for salvation. But there are others of you who say, been there, done that. I've been to the cross, but things are still miserable. Well, we don't just go to the cross once. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross, how often? Daily. And follow Him. It's a continuous thing. And it's when I come to that cross, now as a saved person, bringing to the cross all of my damaged emotions, bringing to the cross my hang-ups, bringing to the cross my unscriptural viewpoints and thinking and ways of looking at things, bringing to the cross my goals, my ambitions, my dreams, nailing them there and reckoning myself to be dead to all of it and having a funeral and saying, Lord, bring about brokenness in my life. Lord, I want to walk now with you in control, totally dependent upon you. A week or so ago, I ran across a prayer of confession that literally just caused my heart to leap up within me. And I want to share it with you. Lord, I've seen the light. I've counted the cost. I've made the choice. I've settled the question. I've resolved the conflict. I've stepped over the line. I've forsaken self. I've rendered the decision and I've become a wholly surrendered disciple of Jesus Christ. I've renounced all ownership, claimed all promises, met all conditions. I have opted for life, not death, innocence, not guilt, light, not darkness, and heaven, not hell. I have signed the covenant, agreed to the terms, met the author, joined the ranks, burned the bridges behind me. The choice is made. The direction is determined. The combat is entered and the weapons ready. The ear is tuned. The eye is set. And I have become a soldier of the cross and my tour of duty is for life. I'm ready to go or stay, wait or move, walk or run, laugh or cry, lift or be lifted, be first or last, now or later, or whatever, whenever, for however long. I am a Christian. I'm not my own anymore. I've sold out, turned out, been bought out, and will burn out if need be. I will go work, pray, sit, stand, crawl, limp, trot, run, speak, or wait. I am now at your disposal. I will not retreat, renege, return, or reconsider. I have entered the race, and my future now belongs to you. That's that first step. And until you come to the place that there is a surrender of control, brokenness, and a swapping of control, Holy Spirit, I give up control so you can take control. And then a sustaining of that control by walking in the Spirit. Until that happens, you're never going to know the joy of the Holy Spirit being released in and through you to bring what you are on the inside into reality on the outside in your behavior and to give you a life that the only explanation for it is that it's a supernatural life. Let's bow our heads together.